pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. 水煮肉片. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Welcome everyone, my name is David Guimarães-Martins, or David Guimarães-Martins, try to say that three times in a row, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C., and I'm so excited for the release of this episode from my podcast, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Now, you might ask me, why such an awesome name? Well, I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in the United States for the last nine years, and the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if they've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes, so next time you interview someone, keep that question in mind. Every episode I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, how can we evolve as people, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our family sitting around a table, and even which ingredients are overrated and underrated, and much more. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on all the platforms that you have access to. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, and follow the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. I hope you have an amazing time listening to every episode, and don't forget I'm Portuguese, so if something doesn't sound exactly right, just move on because life is too short. My guest today is a host, moderator, producer, author, and public speaker. He started in the late 90s at his college radio station at Tufton's University in the only American state that I can pronounce. And from there, he was a producer for NPR, Air American Radio, and Sirius XM before finally launching his own podcast in 2009 called The Sporkful, which according to him is not for foodies, it's for eaters. Apple Podcasts ranked Sporkful the number one food podcast in the world. In 2017, it won the Webby Award for Best Lifestyle Podcast and also James Beard Award in 2018. My guest is also the creator of the cooking show, You Are Eating It Wrong, and author of the cookbook, Eat More Better. It's an honor to have him here today because I'm hoping he has a lot of free tips for an amateur podcaster like me. <laughs> Dan Pashman, welcome to the podcast. Hey, David. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm here in my basement where I record my own podcast as well. It's now shared space between my children's toys and my audio recording equipment. It's a perfect scenario for a podcast, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So two important questions that I ask everybody. Have you been to Portugal? Yes, I have oh, been to thank Portugal. Yes, thank you. I, I, um, I'll send you that invoice later. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, okay, thank you. Okay. I did study abroad in London, and that was the year that the World's Fair was in Lisbon. So that was 1998? No. Yes. It was, yes, exactly right. Spring, spring of 1998. Yeah. And I actually had a, a friend of mine who I know from the U.S. who's from Cape Verde, mm -hmm. um, but which was a Portuguese colony, as I'm sure you know. And so she ended up working with the Portuguese government or embassy. Then she moved on to work with the Brazilian government. But anyway, she was, she was working in some capacity, I don't recall, with the World's Fair. And I came there and we like got to tour all around with her, which was super cool. Nice. So yeah. But it was Perfect. a long time ago and I would love to go back and spend more time and gain an even deeper appreciation. Do you know any Portuguese words? I believe that the word for fudge is fudge. 
<laughs> okay, that will take you longer. Yeah, that's you can go super far in Portugal with that. Perfect. Uh, so for people, I mean, a lot of people know you, but so what's the t the state of your university that you went? Uh, it's in Massachusetts. Which cannot is say like it. A, yeah, I, I can't say it. It's the only one yeah. I cannot say it. Yeah, if you just say Mass as an abbreviation, most Americans at least will will know what that. Means. I have also an issue with Worcestershire sauce, so I call it the W sauce. Yeah, I can't do it. I cannot do it. Do you like to have a little bit of a break from the interviews and be on the other side? For sure, yeah. It's for, in your perspective, it's like you're always cooking. It's your, 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 you have to come up with the menu. You have to figure out the ingredients. You have to oversee an operation. Sometimes it's nice to just go to someone else's house and have them cook dinner for you. Yes, you know, sir. same kind of thing. That's true. Yeah. So you always mentioned your, your podcast, the difference between a foodie and an eater. So what's the biggest difference for you between a foodie and an eater? I think, I mean, look, you, first of all, you can be both. Uh, and I'm not against foodies per se, but I guess the reason why that distinction is important to me is because to me, foodies are very much about like restaurants and chefs, and they see food and restaurant culture as a marker of status. Mm -hmm. And that's just not really a world that I'm interested in. I'm not a chef. I host a food podcast, but I'm really more of a podcaster who got into food. I'm a decent home cook, but not a chef. And I just love to eat. And I think that you can kind of end up talking about anything when you start off talking about food. You can end up in history, economics, art, culture, identity, international relations, yeah. <laughs> all of these things. And so that, that to me is what interests me about food is, is eating it and seeing where it can lead you. Not so much this sort of the fancy world of, of restaurants and chefs and status. Is there any like dish that everybody says like, oh, when Dan makes that, it's pretty good? In the summertime, people really like my potato salad. Oh, we go by seasons. Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, you oh, know, I it, oh, yeah, I apologize. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what's um, your fall dish? Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, fall to me, to me is like Thanksgiving time. So I'm very focused on like making a good turkey and stuffing at Thanksgiving, which I think I do well. I mean, I'm not, it's not the world's greatest, but I think it's good. A potato salad is like very light on the mayo, heavier on the mustard, and I put in chopped pickles. Okay which is kind of my secret that people like, so it's crunchy and it's very acidic. And my burgers have gotten very good. I started, I started pressing them on a flat top on the grill, on a cast iron flat top, smashing them. Let's see. I make one batch a year of homemade eggnog from scratch using the joy of cooking recipe. And that's with like a dozen eggs and a pound of sugar and like a gallon of heavy cream and a bottle yeah. of rum. So for and those, all, all year round, I would say that I do a brined roast chicken that my kids really like. You're getting too excited, Dan. There's a lot of dishes already. For someone that said like, <laughs> oh, well, no, just a potato salad. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever had a, I never had, but you mentioned turkey. Have you, I'm sure you did, a, a deep fried turkey, the whole thing? I never have. And I'll tell you the truth, David. I, I kind of feel like, you know, fried foods, like you want a good ratio of the exterior to the interior because you need the exterior to get battered and to get the fried goodness on it. When you deep fry a whole bird, most of the bird is not exposed to the exterior. So you end up with this thing that's a giant fire hazard, a pain in the butt. It's kind of a good gimmick and it cooks fast, but there's not that much fried exterior in relation to interior meat. So I think if you're going to deep fry a turkey, you should cut it up first in the style of fried chicken and fry the pieces so that you can get a better ratio of exterior fried to interior meat. I agree with you. So for those of us like me, a uh, Portuguese guy, that's not familiar with the term. So can you explain uh, what does a sporkful refer to? Oh, wait, can I tell you the other, the other Portuguese word that I just remember that I know? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Pastéis de nata. 
which is the best thing on earth, right? 100%. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. for those it people a- listening, it's the custard tarts, right? It's a custard, Portuguese custard tarts. And Portuguese pastries in general, they are very heavy on sugar and eggs. Uh, and do you know the reason for them? No. Tell me. It's the, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about food history, but I know a little bit of this. It's the nuns used to use egg whites to, as a starch to iron clothes. So they started having buckets of egg yolks left. This is true. And they started to realize, oh, hang on. If you put some sugar in something, you can like, so most of our sweet pastries are very egg-based because of that. All right. So, but the, the meaning, the, the other meaning, the meaning of sporkful, what it refers to? I wanted the show to be named after something. Early on, the show was really just about like obsessing about the smallest details of food and very simple, basic food. And I love the idea that like, there's all these details of a very simple food that have been right in front of you all along and you never really stop to notice it or to think about it or to think about which might be the better way. So I wanted something that would represent sort of creativity in food, but also something that's very simple and obvious. So like one thought I had for the title of the show was like sliced bread, you know, like the old saying that the best thing is in sliced bread because slicing bread seems so simple and obvious, but yet it was kind of was ingenious when it was invented. Um, but I settled on the spork because the spork is also something that's sort of simple and obvious and yet kind of quirky and weird. Mm-hmm. And I liked all the combination of it being named after something that was both innovative and simple. And how, well, you talk a little bit, but why did you start doing the podcast? What was the need for you? Well, when I graduated from college 20 years ago, my dream was to host my own radio show. This was before podcasting had been invented. And I was working at a bunch of radio stations as a producer, trying to work my way up. Long story short, I was coming of age at a time when there were multiple economic recessions. And also the internet was kind of turning the entire world of media upside down, technology, smartphones. So this was creating a ton of instability. And so I kept getting good jobs in radio and then a recession would hit or something, the, the company would get sold and I would lose my job. I think I, lost, I got laid off from like six jobs in eight years. Oh, well. And I finally decided, well, if I have my own podcast, A, I can jump ahead to being able to host it, which is what I've been wanting to do all along, and I'll own it. So at least nobody can fire me but me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the beginning. But I mean, I did it as a, in my living room for the first two years. Then a little money started coming in from it. It was, still a, it was a part-time job for the first four years. Then it became a, a decent paying full-time job after four years. It took seven years before it really kind of took off and became a nationally known thing. And we were able to hire more people and and expand. How close were you to fire yourself throughout the process? (laughs) Honestly, I've never gotten that close. Okay. Even during the very difficult times, I always like, you know, at a certain point, I've invested so much time and effort into it. And I really believed in it. And it, it always has felt like I've always been able to see a path for it to keep going and growing. As long as I can see that path and as long as I'm excited creatively and look forward to making new episodes, which I still mm-hmm. do, then, then I'm excited to keep doing it. How has podcasting changed in the time that you've been in the business? I mean, it's changed from people doing it in their living rooms and it basically being impossible to make a living doing it unless you're one of five or 10 gigantic shows mm-hmm. to slowly but surely growing to a real industry um, where you could make a living doing it and real companies advertising. The, the quality of shows going up substantially because people were investing more time, more effort, more money. So the quality of the programs has gone through the roof, which has put a lot of pressure on people. You know, it's made me get better because I'm like, oh, geez, look what these other people are doing. Yeah. I got to get better. This stuff that I was doing last year isn't good enough anymore. But now we're in a period of consolidation, which is interesting. It has a lot of opportunity. I'm, I'm a little concerned. I think it's going to get harder for small podcasts to launch and to really get, take off because I think we're heading towards a place where 
only a handful of companies will, you know, most pod, most podcasts will be produced and distributed by one of a couple of companies. And if you're not yeah. in with one of those companies, you're going to be in trouble. That being said, it's exciting that it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. That, you know, it's a real business now. Like I, I actually feel like I can see a path where there's a career. You know, that's what's changed. I, I, I never got that close to giving up, but up until about two years ago, it was very hard. I, I still was like, what am I going to be doing in 10 years? Mm-hmm. You know, like I wasn't in that moment ready to give up, but there were definitely moments where I was like, this is going fine now, but I still don't see how this is going to be a business in 10 years. Yeah. Now I'm at the point where I'm like, oh, I think this is going to be a business in 10 years. There will mm-hmm. still be jobs here. I'll be able to have a job. Yeah. Why do you think pop podcasts are so popular? What need do they fulfill in the media market? Well, I think to some degree, they fill the same need that radio traditionally filled. Yeah. Um, to me... Spoken word audio content is the oldest type of art, and it's the oldest type of content. It's the oldest type of communication. I mean, you're talking like cave paintings and spoken word. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's something very deep about that connection. Um, People say to me, how do you do food in audio? Food is so visual. And like, yeah, I guess, but audio is interactive. People are listening to the two of us talking, and they're getting a picture in their head. They're getting a picture of that pastiche donata. They're getting a picture of the two of us hanging out together talking. And every listener has a different picture in their head. So it's interactive because they're generating the pictures for themselves. I think that's why the connection that we have to the audio shows that we like is so deep and more powerful on average, I think, than our connection to our favorite YouTuber or favorite TV star. Mm -hmm. And that, that connection isn't going anywhere. The distribution may change, technology may change, business stuff may change, but the basic human connection of listening to people talk to each other and feeling like you're there with them is very powerful and that's not going anywhere. So you had great success with Sporkful and you still have a lot of success. What do you see evolving in the future? I would love to help launch other food podcasts to sort of use the platform of the Sporkful to amplify other voices in the world of food, mm-hmm. um, especially diverse voices. Um, I'll, gi- I'll give you my phone number. At okay. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> so um, I would love to do that. I would love, I mean, I, you know, there's, I've done some work in TV periodically opportunities arise on that front. And that's exciting. You know, I, I was a producer for years before I became a host and I do miss producing other people. That's also fun and it's a different skill and it's you know, something I think I'm pretty good at that I don't get to do. I mean, I'm essentially doing because I'm kind of producing myself and that because I was a producer for so long before being a host, I'm pretty good at listening to myself objectively when I'm editing mm-hmm. the show and being like, this is what's working, this is what's not working. Yeah. But still, I like, yeah, I like working with other people on their own stuff. So yeah. I would love to do more of that. What have you been eating wrong? That's a good question. I, there are some foods that I talk a big game about my technique, but in reality, when push comes to shove, like a slice of pizza, you know, I have a video where I say you should uh, fold the p- slice of pizza inside out so the cheese is on the outside. That way, when you bite <laughs> into it, the cheese lands directly on your tongue. It accentuates cheesy goodness. It's also a very different textural experience. Mm-hmm. And I do think it works, and I do think it's worthwhile, and it's just fun to eat something and, and be like, wow. It's so simple. It's a food I've eaten a million times. And all I did was flip it inside out and it's very different. So I like the as an idea, but the honest truth is that nine times out of 10, you hand me a slice of pizza and I forget that rule myself yeah. and I just shove it in my face. Um, so I guess I've been eating pizza wrong myself. What do you think Americans have been eating wrong? I, I mean, I'll stick with pizza. I think that pizza, pizza people are putting too many toppings on their pizzas. Mm-hmm. Um, Pizza, if you have great crust and great sauce and great cheese, you need very little beyond that. If you want to add one or two things to mix it up, great. But like, keep in mind that vegetables release water when you cook them. Meat releases juice when you cook it. 
Now, what and dough crust is best when it's crusty, mm-hmm. not when it's soaking wet. Yeah. So stop putting so much stuff on your pizzas that releases so much water and juice that you your whole pizza turns into this pile of mush. You're getting very passionate there, Dan. I mean, pizza. <laughs> You I mean, do not you- talk about pizzas we can, okay? <laughs> you really struck a chord, David. <laughs> it's, it's a whole thing. I can't I get it. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, the Italians, they, at the end of the day, the margarita is always just tomato sauce, right? Mozzarella and a little bit of basil. And right. you know, that, that's it. So, uh, What do you think Portuguese people are eating wrong? I mean, I'll probably answer the other way around. I think it's our food. It's good. Sometimes it doesn't change that much. And I think we, I think actually, to be honest with COVID, that's in a little before Portuguese people had to reinvent themselves a little bit. If you go to Portugal, I mean, Lisbon nowadays, it's the new hub. It's the new, Barcelona was many years ago in Berlin. Everybody's going to Lisbon. So Lisbon, the restaurant scene was always good. And now it's even better because it has a lot of different restaurants. But if you go to a village, you're going to have 40 restaurants, 39 is going to be Portuguese, Portuguese food. And they all say the same thing, traditional Portuguese food outside, just in case, God forbid, you know, it's not. <laughs> and we, for many years, I don't think we had the ability of invent ourselves and in the food as well. And I think we kind of just, yeah, the food is good, but we never did anything to try to take it to the next level or to be different the person next to you. And I think, I mean, I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I think it was a little more, I think we'd never had the whole global vision of a business and how we are eating things and how we are cooking things. because. They're delicious, but when you have 40 Russians serving the same, does it make sense? But was that a good answer? Probably not. Yeah, no, for sure. I know. I understand what you're saying. I mean, it's right. Obviously, it's a place with a lot of history. Yeah. And you're worried about tourism. And a lot of tourists are coming because they want the quote unquote authentic Portuguese experience. So there's an economic pressure to like to provide that, even though for for you, you might be like, yeah, I've had this enough times now. Like, yeah, enough enough bacalao. Like, show me something different. Yeah, that's true. So let's say there's new food podcasts podcasters out there and you already said they're going to fail but it's okay what what <laughs> advice do you he's like don't do it what <laughs> advice do you have for them besides the part no don't do it yeah and no, for, I, I for them say, me as well just so yeah. what's your advice is i didn't say that you or them are going to fail just that I'm it's too. getting harder yeah I know, I know um i would say recognize that it's going to take time you know like, like the, there are very few overnight successes in the world of audio and podcasting i mean like i said i was doing the pot the sporkful for four years before mm-hmm. it became a full-time job. Yeah. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I, you know, especially in the early years, I don't know that I was any better. I just sort of like outlasted other people, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. and so that's a big part of it. Think carefully about exactly what your show is about and what your unique perspective is, what you're bringing to the table that other people aren't doing, what sets you apart. That sounds obvious, but a lot of people, you know, say that, but they still don't do it. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, the thing they're doing is still sort of like, kind of like a lot of other things. And then, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help. Ask other people, you know, like when this episode goes up, David, I'll be happy to share it on social media. So like, thank you. you know, ask people to do that and stuff, stuff like that, you know, and just kind of keep pushing to get better, you yep. know, keep pushing to get better. Try to try to get a trusted editor, a friend, someone who can listen to it and give you notes, give you mm-hmm. who will really tell you like, here's the part that's good. And here's the part that can be improved and try not to, you know, sometimes those things can be hard to hear, but, you know, try not to take it personally and just keep trying to get better. Yeah. What was your first memory of taste? Early, I mean, I, I always remember when I was growing up, Tuesday and Thursday nights were the nights that my mom worked. So like, we didn't have a family dinner those nights. And so the food was, um, Tuesday night was always cottage cheese pancake night. Cottage mm-hmm. cheese pancake, like my family's Eastern European, that's like an Eastern European thing. It's like sour cream, cottage cheese, 
salt and sugar that are a little sweet and savory pancakes. Thursday night was hot dog night. And for as long as I can remember, Tuesday night's cottage cheese pancakes, Thursday night, uh, hot dogs. Hot dogs. And that was years and years. <laughs> Most underrated ingredients. I mean, my first thought was salt. Some people said that before, yeah. Really? I mean, I just feel like like most sweets don't have enough salt in them. That's changing, but like you need the salt and just kind of mm-hmm. like getting it right. Beyond that, I would say lemon. Yeah, uh, overrated ingredient. Chocolate. Okay. I mean, I love I love me some chocolate, but like the the, the like the fetishization of chocolate. It's just kind of like there's a lot of great sweets out there. There's a lot of weight. Like I know that chocolate isn't 100% using sweets, but mostly I just feel like I feel like chocolate is dominating too much of the of the sweet spectrum. The best breakfast ever that you can have. Do I have to be physically capable of doing anything after eating the breakfast? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Then it's like a really good ham or variety of of ham and pork products with really good fresh baked bread that's really crusty on the outside and chewy and doughy in the center with really, really good butter. Those three things, and I am a very happy person. What's the WTF combination that you cannot accept that people do? I mean, look, the short answer is like people sh- can eat, like people should eat whatever tastes good to them. Like I'm That's not going to say I'm not going to say it's wrong. But we're not polite but, here, so you can say it. Yeah. <laughs> but like 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 something that just like that doesn't just doesn't work for me personally. I mean, my palate has expanded a lot in recent years. There's a lot of things that were like weird combinations. I didn't used to like nuts in desserts. I didn't used to like citrus with seafood. All those things have changed now. I love all those things. There's not a whole lot. I guess I still don't really like sweet with meat. Okay. But that's really not I like some sweet with meat, but like, I don't like very sweet barbecue sauces. There's some like, or like a stuffed peppers that have like a very sweet, like almost like ketchup on them. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't want, I don't like, I, I used to be like a ketchup on burgers and hot dogs person. Now I'm a ketchup mustard combo. People make their meat too sweet. Okay. Can I share with you a few uh, answers that I have? Please. Teaching, yes. Teaching, yes. Cl- teaching classes. I, these three are always going to stuck with me. It's popcorn and tomato soup. Wait, that's less listed as a good thing or a bad thing? No, it's supposed to be great. Yeah. So they, they loved it, which right. my question was always, what's something you might love? And the people might think like, mm. right. But yeah, so popcorn, tomato soup, a coleslaw sandwich, just straight yeah, I mean, coleslaw. It's a little weird. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like, why not just eat coleslaw without this, the bread? Well, then we start asking a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> and this one actually is more famous, at least in the US, but it's the mayo and banana sandwich. I've heard, see, that's weird. Yeah, that's, oh, you know one that I've heard that is mayo and peanut butter. Okay. Someone recommended that to me. I did try it and it was better than I expected, but still Mm -hmm. hard to process. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few combinations out there. So the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. That's two Portuguese quotes. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that exceeds expectations. Have you turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? I, mean, I, I, like to, I kind of feel like the answer is both, but I feel like I've learned a lot. I think I've gotten good at my job. I've been doing it now, essentially working in audio for 20 years. So I think I'm pretty good at it by now. I'm still always learning and still always trying to get better. Expectations are a funny thing because when I set out, when I started the Sporkful, I said to myself, I just want this to be a full-time job. I just want to be able to have a job doing the thing that I love, doing my dream. And then, but like when you're an ambitious person, you set out with a goal like that, but then once you get to it, you're like, okay, so what's the next goal? Yeah. So the expectations are always changing. Mm-hmm. So I have exceeded my initial expectations, but now I have new expectations. Yeah. 
I think that as an ambitious person, you always want to struggle with you know, goals and expectations because I know people who are just absolutely never satisfied with anything. And those tend to be the most successful people, but then they're also miserable yeah. because they're never able to enjoy anything. They don't have personal lives because they're working all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that's a problem. The flip side is the people who like, you know, some people, and people are just like sort of happy to have their job and that's just not how they identify. That's not a big part of their identity and that's fine too. But for me, I try to strike a balance between those two. This is the called the sell your fish moment. So in Portugal, when someone tells you to sell your fish, that means you talk about yourself. Okay. Uh, well, we already <laughs> talked a little bit here. So where people can find you? What's the little projects for the future? What do you have in, in, in hand? So just share with us. Well, we are a Sporkful podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast, whatever app you use. Please subscribe or follow or favorite, whatever it is in that app. And we are going to be celebrating the 10th anniversary of our show probably in September. We're going to pick three of our most famous episodes of all time and repeat them with new updates mm-hmm. on the characters that are sort of, they've become certain beloved uh, past guests on our show, and we're going to bring them back and find out what they've been doing since then. So one of those is a story called um, Searching In Search of the Aleppo Sandwich. It was about a sandwich shop in Syria, where we set out to find like what made it special, does it still exist? We'll update that story. One is going to be a story we did where we followed a woman through a year of recovery from an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. We'll see how she's doing. Um, and one will probably, I think, be an interview with Chef Kwame Anwachi. We told his story, but a lot's happened to him in the past year, so we'll update him. Yeah. Well, uh, Dan, this was a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming. Everybody go listen to Sparkful because it's really, really good. I know this is busy times for everyone, so I really appreciate you coming on the pod. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, David. Take Thank care. You for, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. Please don't forget to subscribe, leave a review. I only accept five stars, by the way. Tell all your friends about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. And if you have any questions, you can send an email to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. See you next time. Adios.